In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Have you ever noticed how much stuff we throw away? And I'm not talking about like your trash and your garbage that's in your house. I'm talking about like big stuff. When was the last time you bought a refrigerator? How long did it last? Do you go to the appliance store getting ready to buy the refrigerator with this idea that it's going to last 30 years? No! It might be 30 months if you're fortunate. Same with your dishwasher, your washer and dryer. All of this stuff that we have today is seemingly not lasting very long. And we just toss it out, give it off to somebody else, and we get something new. We live in a throwaway society. Think about all of the stuff that you have. Think about your precious phone and the commercials that come out for the latest phone, the iPhone 27 or whatever else it is. And now you look at your phone and you think, oh, this is, this is terrible, even though I've had it just six months. Chuck it out the window, pass it on to your kids, give it to somebody else. I want something new. Have you ever stopped and thought why you need that refrigerator? Well, it's to keep things cold, Pastor. It's to help preserve things, Pastor. That's right. And if you didn't do that, what would happen? All of a sudden, your meat, your strawberries, your lettuce would be showing to you in vivid and stinky ways the world that you live in, a world of death. You have a refrigerator because you live in a world of death. Because even the food that we consume, the berries, the lettuce, that porterhouse steak, all of these things are dying. They're decaying. And your refrigerator, your freezer is simply slowing down that process. You and I are dying. We're decaying. Great, Pastor, this is motivational. Let's go out and live the good life today, right? But it's true. And I would dare say that in the throwaway society that we live in here today, we have even viewed one another in the same way. If somebody is old, if somebody is in a nursing home, if somebody has horrific diseases, let them die let them expedite death so they can relieve them of their suffering. We face this all the time out in California with the assisted suicide laws that were passed. Or it can go to the opposite extreme. Somebody's pregnant, pregnant out of wedlock, pregnant and not necessarily wanting a child, and what do we uphold in this country? The right to have that child killed because it doesn't fit in with our needs or our wants. We have taken humanity, God's good creation, you and I who are made in the image and likeness of God, and we have looked at each other apart from ourselves, much like that refrigerator or that toaster that hasn't even lasted a year. Just chuck it away. It's too much of a burden, too much of a problem for me. And death can do that for us. 
Because death is such a mystery to us. We see people who have died and who have encountered death when they are old, and maybe they've died from cancer or just even from old age, and it's sort of like we expect this. This is just sort of the natural path and order of life. Talk to somebody outside of the church, and they'll just talk about, well, it happens to everybody. It's just part of it. But Jesus comes today, and he says to you and to me, no, absolutely not. Death of people is not how I created these things. Death of my beloved saints is not something that I rejoice over. None of you, none of you from the youngest to the oldest is to be thrown away. In our view of death, and in many ways with today, death has become something that we we shy away from. We can't be seen as sad over this. We can't let people know that the sting of death really hurts. Death stinks to the core. I've seen it with a lot of people in my ministry, as I'm sure all of you have as well. And yet we try to flower it up, we try to gussy it up as if it's really nothing to be concerned about because it's just part of it, and let's just worry about the other things that they did and, and everything else. But that person is still in the casket. You still have a plot of dirt waiting to receive you. Great, I'm all motivated. Let's go out pastor and live. Woo, this is happy. This is reality. In the midst of a world of death and decay and dying, Jesus shows up. Because he doesn't like it. He doesn't like death. He doesn't like that his own people have to earn the wages of sin, which is death. He doesn't like the big hot mess that we've gotten ourselves into as his people and as this world. And so he does something about it. And you see that marvelously today, both at our Old Testament reading and with the Gospel reading today. The widow of Zarephath that had encountered a horrific famine. And a member from last week, Elijah, came along, and she has very little to eat or to drink. And Elijah looks at her and says, hey, bring me something to drink. Make me something to eat. And she says, all I have is this bread or this oil and this flour, and I'm gathering up sticks so that my son and I can have one last meal and we can die. And Elijah says, I don't care, give me something to eat. And he does, and she, he receives this. And all of a sudden, the oil and the flour never are empty, and they're continuing to survive. And we think, yes, great, thanks be to God. Then you see what happens today. Her son dies. I can't imagine what it's like to go through having one of your kids die die. I just can't. And for those of you who have gone through that, I I just cannot imagine what you're thinking or what you feel, what you have felt in life. It's terrible. Nothing seems to be worse than the sharpness and the sting of death when that happens. And what does the widow of Zarephath say? What have you done this to me? 
what's the matter? And I don't really see an Elijah here today who says everything's under control. It's all good. He himself even questions God as he prays over this boy. And you see what God does. He hears the prayers and rises the son back to new life and delivers him back to his mother. Then you see today in the gospel reading two processions. It's almost like two gangs. You know, the jets and the sharks or whatever it was in West Side Story. I don't think they were dancing around or anything like that, though. But you see two processions. One is a procession of death. A widow has lost her son. She's lost her husband, and she's lost her only son. And you might say, oh, this poor lady. But you have to understand, in Jesus' day and age, if you did not have your husband or at least a son, you were as good as being out on the street You didn't have any source of housing or income or anything else. So not only is this woman grieving over the loss of her son, grieving over the loss of her husband, she's also probably worried beyond belief about what's going to happen to her in life. And so there is this procession of death and sorrow and grief. And then on the other corner is the procession of life. Light and salvation. The prince of life is leading his people. And before you might think about, well, imagine that. It all comes together. Jesus knows where he's at and what he's doing. It's not just a happy circumstance that, oh, well, imagine that, a funeral procession. He knows exactly what he's doing. This procession of death, and this procession of life intersect with one another, and Jesus sees this widow who is mourning her son and her husband. Jesus sees these people living in the valley of the shadow of death, and he stops to say, I have come to bring life and life eternal. I have come to destroy death for you. Young man, I say to you, arise. But before you get to even that point, Jesus does something even more amazing. He touches the coffin. So, what's the big deal? He touches the box, Pastor. Not a big deal. This is a very big deal. If you were to cut, touch the coffin or the person who was dead in that coffin, you would be declared unclean. You would be looked at, and you would have to go through a whole ritual to make yourself clean. So this isn't just simply Jesus, the happy, wonderful miracle maker who shows up and says, I'm going to make everything better. He comes along and he says, I who am spotless and who am clean, I who am the source of life, will now take on death and the sin of the whole world. I will touch it. I will immerse myself into it. All of the sins that you've done, all of the sins that I have done, all of the things that we have thrown away of God's creation, 
all of our inabilities to love our fellow neighbor, all of the ways of death, Jesus has come and He touches them and He absorbs them and He takes them onto Himself so that you might have life, light, and salvation, so that you might live even in the face of the grave. So He touches this grave, this casket, He touches this dead boy, and He says, I who am, un who am clean now become unclean. I take away sin and death. Young man, I say to you, arise. And he says the same thing about you as well. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in a newness of life. Tomorrow we will bring our sister Maxine Biggers into this place for her funeral. And we will begin that service with those wonderful words, in baptism. Maxine was clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all of her sin. And we will remember our own baptism. And we will, in the midst of tears and sorrow and grief, we will remember and know that Jesus comes to this place. He has touched Maxine's coffin. He has touched your coffin and your burial place to take on the sting and sharpness of death so that on the last day he can look at you and say, young man, young woman, I say to you, arise. Christ is risen. Is risen and so shall you. That's the glory of the resurrection for you. In the midst of a throwaway world, in the midst of a dark, decaying, and dying world, you have this for you. In the midst of pandemics, upheaval, and turmoil, in the midst of all the questions in life, you have this great and wonderful promise that Christ does not look at you as somebody to be thrown away, but as somebody that He Himself would go to the point of death, even death on the cross, to forgive you and to bring you life to call you His beloved children, to promise you that not even the gates of hell will prevail against you, to promise you that you have that wonderful place prepared for you on the last day. And if this should be your last day or mine, if I should get done here and just collapse, it might happen. It might be your last week here on earth. This is the thing about death. We can't plan for it necessarily. If this might be your last day and we are taking you out to be buried, always, always, always remember the name of the place where you are buried. Don't call it the graveyard. Don't look at it like these big, obnoxious Halloween scenes at Home Depot and Lowe's you will be taken to the cemetery. The cemetery means the place of sleeping. The place of sleeping. Where on the last day, your Lord and Savior will open up your grave and wake you up from the sleep of death. And He will reunite you with all of your loved ones, with all of the faithful, in the resurrection of all flesh, to live out in the new heavens and the new earth that do not decay or die. You buy one refrigerator there, actually you don't need one. 
because nothing decays or dies, forget about it. Everything is put back into order. Everything that is wrong is made right because Jesus has come to bring about everlasting life, light, and salvation for you that will never fade away. Why? Christ is risen. And so shall you. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.